We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the Bear Report Podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming, providing extensive coverage of the Chicago Bears for the Bear Report website. The podcast is powered by Overtime Media. Now, here's Zach and Aaron. Welcome in, Bears fans, to another edition of the Bear Report podcast. It is week 12. The Chicago Bears are off their bye at 5-5, five and five, loses the four straight games, and it doesn't get much easier. This week, they head to Green Bay to take on the Packers in another primetime matchup. And the last primetime matchup for the Bears didn't go so well as their offense stunk it up on Monday Night Football at Soldier Field. We're going to break down the bye week, preview the Packers game, and talk a little bit about the Bears quarterback situation, as well as give you a special interview with Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus to kind of break down some early offseason things with the Bears. Before we get into all that, though, I'm one of your hosts, Zach Pearson. This week, I'm not joined by Aaron Lemming, as usual. Instead, I'm joined by Bear Report writer Yusei Koshal. Yusei, thank you so much for joining me, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm doing good. It's the holidays. Um, you know, the Bears really didn't ruin my bye weekend, which is great. I got to relax a little bit, watch some games. Although the early slate of games kind of sucked, but um, the afternoon ones, the, the Packers-Colts game was actually a, a really good game to watch. Not even, you know, me rooting against the Packers. It was just, it was a pretty good game. How are you doing? Doing well, man. Uh, obviously had the like second or third snowfall here in the Chicagoland area today. So looking more and more like it's a uh, Christmas time, which is also like about a month away, but yeah, yep. excited for the uh, bears to be back, even though I know they're probably just going to annoy me on Sunday night. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of just preparing for the worst already. I just, I don't expect much. Matt Nagy's one and three against the green Bay Packers um, so far in his career. And, you know, at the rate that the bears are going this season, it's, we talked with Brad about this is they're just kind of stuck in, 
you know, what I like to call football hell, where they started five and one. And, you know, after that five and one start, you thought they beat the Buccaneers and beat Carolina. And you thought, okay, this, this team might actually be up there for, you know, a top, you know, three seed or, or, you know, maybe the potential, the number one seed. Now they've lost four straight and not only have lost, they've looked really bad on offense doing so. And yeah, the playoffs are still a possibility, but even then, I mean, what team are you going to beat in the playoffs? Your only, your best chance would be beating the NFC East. And then after that, you're probably going to get crushed. So they're just not bad enough to be in the top 10 either, which hurts them. And it's just going to be another off season where they're picking probably anywhere from 16 to 20, uh, maybe 21. And, you know, they might have to reach for a player that, that, that they really shouldn't have to reach for. I mean, you mentioned it's just like they start off five and one. They now have lost four straight, and this is the second time in the Nag year that they've lost four straight because right around last year at this time is when they were also going on that four-game losing streak. I mean, it's just been the same damn theme each week, dude. It's like that Monday night game against Minnesota before the bye. The defense sets you up with two turnovers, and then the offense just completely blows it. I mean, the offense generated, like, what, three points? The offense generated basically zero points. The Bears, I think, had, like, what, 10 or 13 points in that game, and all of them came from Cordero Patterson and Cairo Santos. So it's just so frustrating to see that Matt Nagy's every single week talked about details this, details that. We thought Bill Lazor's play calling was going to make a difference. It made somewhat of a difference, but the execution was just still lacking. So it's just an offense that they can't do anything right. And just statistically speaking, this is shaping up to be the worst offense in the Matt Nagy era. Yeah, not even that. It's, it's shaping up to be one of the worst offenses we've seen from the Bears, let's say, in probably the past 15, 20 years even. It's just, you know, thank God for the Jets being so bad and because the Bears will be number 32 in all major category, but – the thing you have to kind of look at is the Jets are trying to be bad. They at least have a plan. They're 0 and what? 0 and 10. They're probably going to finish the year with either one win or maybe, you know, 0 and 16. And it's like they at least have a plan to tank and get a quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. The Bears don't really have a plan as of right now. And, and you know, the future of Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace might be in jeopardy here. This might be an offseason where the Chicago Bears have to push the reset button again. And if they miss the playoffs, it'll be 10 times in the last 11 years that they've missed the playoffs, uh, or nine out of the last 10. And it's just, it's not good because their offense, you know, you look at it, is it the scheme? Maybe. Is it play calling? Maybe. Is it just the personnel? Maybe. Is it execution? Maybe. I feel like it's all of that into one, and it started to snowball. I mean, they weren't terrible against the Panthers, they weren't terrible against the Buccaneers because those were games where Nick Foles was kind of just, you know, still in that mode where it's only a second or third game starting as the quarterback. But since then, man, they've just been pitiful. And against the Vikings, they were God awful. They were just, you cannot have that, that out, the offensive output at this point in the season, especially when you're five and four in primetime and a team you should have beat at home. Right, and that Vikings game, I mean, listen, they had 149 yards of total offense. 117 of those came in the first half alone. And so it's just the type of thing where it's like this team continues to, in a lot of ways, be a tale of two halves. It's like that Panthers game. The first touchdown, or the, the first possession, number one, the defense sets you up again, which has been a constant theme, like I've mentioned multiple times that I've been on the pod this season. But the point is, is that it's like, yeah, Kokomet scored that touchdown back in week six, but the sequence leading up to it was like a false start and a delay of game coming out of a timeout. So 
And then it was just the same stuff took, again. It took a, a really good play by Komet to get that touchdown. Right. And you, you, you look back at it and you realize one of the other themes of this season that nobody seems to be talking about is just that this team is legitimately a player two away from this offense in general. It's a player two away from just not scoring any points at all. That and the fact that, I mean, they very well could have lost, you know, week one against Detroit and week three against Atlanta, if not for some, you know, miraculous comebacks. I mean, you're right. They are a couple plays away from being um, essentially what would it be three and seven going into the bye week. And at that point, I think, yeah, you're looking at some big changes this offseason. I think these next six games are really going to tell us a lot um, about not only this team, but with the way that the franchise is going. They have six games coming up, two against the Packers. They also have one more against Minnesota, one more against Detroit. They have one against uh, Texans and one against the Jaguars. And look at the six-game stretch. They're not going to be favorites against the Packers. They will probably not be favorites against the Vikings. They should be favorites against the Lions and the other two um, AFC South opponents. But, you know, they could very well go 4-2 and two and still miss the playoffs. That would be a 9-7 and seven record. And that's an improvement from last year. But you have to take into consideration what the heck happened to start the year. They were 5-1. and one. It looked like they were going to be the number one seed or in contention for a number one seed. It's just all snowballed downhill. And for me, you know, I see this thing going one of two ways. I see them kind of rallying off some wins. Maybe they get a couple upsets here and there. Or this thing is going to continue to snowball. And heads might roll at Hallis Hall. And I, and I hate saying that because these are humans. They do have jobs. But we very well could be looking at a new regime change um, this offseason. We're going to talk a little bit more about a, a current situation going on with the Bears signal caller ahead of Green Bay. We'll get into our interview with Brad. And then we will also preview the game to kind of wrap up the podcast. Before we do that, though, let's hit our first break of the show. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome back in here to the Bearport Podcast. And you say, well, we were talking before this break, the offense is really bad. And for me, I look at it like this. Uh, you know, you can blame it on everything. It's a mixture of things that are wrong with this team. When I look at this offense, though, their main weakness right now, and I think you'd agree with me, is the offensive line is really, really bad. And that's not to say that Matt Nagy doesn't deserve blame. That's not to say that Ryan Pace does not deserve blame. He does because he put together this offensive line. And that's not to say that the quarterback position doesn't deserve blame. The offensive line is so bad. They, what I truly believe is Matt Nagy can't get his offense to run the way he wants it to because, they, number one, they can't run block. Number two, they can't pass protect. I mean, how many times have you and I watched the games here and you see – a guy come in untouched because the Bears essentially couldn't pick up a blitz. If you watch that Minnesota game, they could the, the Vikings literally showed you what they're going to do on every single third down. They're going to bring an extra guy or two and blitz and force you to read the blitz and pick it up. And what the Bears couldn't do that. They simply could not do that. And it felt like someone came in untouched every single third down. Now, with their offense, though, 
as bad as it's been in the offensive line, not having any time, I think one way you can counter that is having a mobile quarterback that can keep plays alive. And I'm not saying Mitch Trubisky is the answer because he's not, he's done after this season. He's not, he's not the guy that's your franchise quarterback. However, what he does better than Nick Foles is he can keep plays alive with his feet. Now what Nick Foles does better, in, in my opinion, is he's more accurate at times. And, he, and I think he makes the smarter decisions in Trubisky. However, you're going to need a guy that can, that can be mobile back there and scramble, especially with an offensive line that's not really giving you any time to throw. Yeah, so going back to that Vikings game, right, where you mentioned the third down blitzes just a moment ago. I mean, listen, another thing to add on to that is you're right. Mike Zimmer was showing this offensive line every single time what they were going to do. He did it in the first and second half, and yet the Bears made no adjustments, all right? You need to make adjustments, right, when you're playing against Green Bay because, yeah, the, their defense has regressed a bit this year, but they're going to end up eating you alive and having a field day. And then regarding Trubisky's mobility in the QB situation, here are my thoughts. When we go back to the early portion of the season, and namely week one and week two, when you look at some of the touchdowns that this team scored, that the offense scored, the thing is this, is there's a, in week one, Trubisky pockets collapsing and he just rolls all the way out to the right side of the field, finds Jimmy Graham around the 10 yard line in the red zone. Graham takes it in for six. You look at week two, the first, they marched on the field on the first possession of the game. Trubisky rolls out of the pocket again, hits David Montgomery, who takes it in. Does the same thing in the Giants game with Darnell Mooney, right? Scrambling out of the pocket, et cetera. So the point is, is that people do not seem to realize, and it just, I don't know why Matt Nagy doesn't realize it either, that the offense with Trubisky's mobility is actually somewhat effective because if that's what it's going to take for you to put seven points up on the board, then you know what? You need to go ahead and put this guy in because like you said, Foles is definitely a smarter player. Foles is the point guard that you want running this offense. But unfortunately, behind this offensive line, Nick Foles can't do anything. So that's why you have to go back to Trubisky starting Sunday night against Green Bay because otherwise the Packers, right? It's going to be the same story. The Packers are going to be, they have an explosive offense. They're going to move the ball on you. Your defense is going to get gas and it could turn ugly quick. Well, the other thing is too, it's, you know, when Matt Nagy benched Mitch Trubisky and at the time against the Falcons, he rolled the dice and it worked out for him in that game. That was a big, big um, decision there for Matt Nagy to, to, to do that because once he went back to, Nick Foles, or once you went to Nick Foles, you really weren't going back to Mitch Trubisky unless there was an injury. However, you know, when he said, yeah, we're, we're ready for a quarterback change, he blamed a couple things. You know, he said the interceptions, the lack of um, touchdowns in the red zone, and the third down conversion rate being very, very poor. Well, you look here at the last couple of weeks with Nick Foles, and since he took over, every, none of that stuff's improved. They've been god-awful on third downs. They're not turning red zone trips into touchdowns as much as you want them to. And Nick Foles is throwing interceptions. So, I mean, where's the improvement on this offense? There, re there really is none. And now going into this game, you know, Nick Foles is a hit pointer injury. On Monday, he was not out there at practice or in the open media part. Trubisky was. I think Matt Nagy has a decision to make. And reading and listening to Matt Nagy, I look at it like this. He doesn't have to tell us anything about the injuries. He's not going to tell us anything about the injuries. That's just how he is. That's his stance. I don't agree with it. I understand why he's doing it. We're not going to change it. When you listen to him talk, and, and first thing he says is, you know, we have to look at the injuries and see where these two guys are at. Nick Foles not being out there in the, despite a 10-10-10 practice, which is essentially an extra day of walkthrough, 
that tells me he might not be ready to go Sunday. Now, we'll learn a lot more on Wednesday when they return to the practice fields. However, right now, my gut, if I had to make a bet, free money here, I would say that Mitch Trubisky is probably going to start Sunday night in Green Bay, but only because Nick Foles was hurt. If Nick Foles didn't get hurt against the Vikings, I still think Nagy would roll with Nick Foles. I don't think he really wants to go back to Mitch Trubisky. I think he's kind of just trying to mask this as, hey, I got to wait till they're, you know, see if they're both healthy and bring up the injury idea as a way to, well, I don't really want to admit that I have to go back to, to Mitch Trubisky because if Nick Foles wasn't hurt, I really don't see him going back to Trubisky. Right. And the reason Nagy doesn't want to go back to Trubisky is because Trubisky is not his quarterback. Nick Foles was his true quarterback because he played a part in getting him here to Chicago, hired the coaches, Bill Lazor, or the offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach, Bill Lazor and John DiFilippo, that also had a previous history with Foles. So I agree with you. I think that Nagy is – the Bears have always been a team, and especially Nagy, whenever – you guys ask him about injuries in the press conference. He just dances around the question. He's like, yeah, so I'm still waiting on updates or et cetera, et cetera, unless it's just like a really obvious injury. Now, I really think that Nagy wants to kind of keep this on the lowdown for the next couple of days here because he doesn't want a big story to get out because someone's going to kind of spin it as, yeah, well, so you weren't willing to be open about Mitch Trubisky. I'm sorry, you benched Mitch Trubisky. Your offense didn't work in six to seven games with Nick Foles. And now all of a sudden you have to go back to Trubisky. But a lot of, you know, people don't understand that Nick Foles is hip injury. I don't think it's just a hip pointer. Like they're saying they are like, I really think that there's some back problems because that injury, when he went down against the Vikings on Monday night, a couple of weeks ago, he was down for a good five to six minutes and they stopped the game to bring the card out and whatnot. And anytime they have to bring the card out, like, you know, it's not a good injury. It's just a very serious injury. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a good point. And yeah, I agree because I think, you know, we, we should know a little more on Wednesday. Now I'm not saying that it's guaranteed that Mitch Trubisky is going to start because who knows? I mean, it could be out there Wednesday and Nick Foles could be taking the reps. We won't really know that. And there's also a chance that Nagy doesn't really reveal much and says, you know, both guys were out there. We're still deciding this very well could come to a, a late Friday or maybe even a Sunday morning decision for Matt Nagy. If I were in charge, I would go back to Trubisky, look for maybe a spark. However, I don't think it's really going to matter. I don't. This team is not a playoff team. I don't think this offense is going to magically, you know, flip the switch and, oh, man, they're going to start putting up 24, 27 points a game. It's kind of sad that I say that because the NFL average is 25 points a game right now through the first first um, 11 weeks, and the Bears are at under – they're at like 18 points per game or just above that, which is pretty sad that we're actually calling for 24 points a game. This new day of NFL, you know, to put together an offense, the score of 30 shouldn't be that big of a problem. I just don't think it's going to get fixed right away. I, I, I think, you know, even if we have Trubisky, even if we have Foles, the offense is still going to be bad. And I think we should start looking forward um, maybe to next season and the offseason changes that are coming. And speaking of that, that's a good segue into our interview with Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. He talked his thoughts on the Bears, um, who he blames, what's going on in the franchise, and what to expect next offseason in terms of cap space and some moves the Bears could make and moves he thinks the Bears are going to make. Here's that interview. We'll be right back after this. Every day can bring changes, challenges, and opportunities that can also change your personal or business financial goals and priorities. As a true partner, Sandy Spring Bank can make it all a bit easier. Someone who really listens, understands, and then creates solutions in hard times and good times. 
We'll always strive to be your advocate, today and every day. That's real banking for real life and real business. Visit sandyspringbank.com slash real, member FDIC. And joining us here on the Bear Report podcast is Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. He does a good job of breaking down cap things, NFL things, um, Chicago Bears things, and he's here to give us some insight on the Bears. Second time on the podcast. Brad, how you doing, man? Doing great. Happy to be back. How you guys yeah, doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's holiday season. Um, I'm a little worried about Sunday night's matchup, but uh, nonetheless, it is Thanksgiving, so time to stuff our faces and everything like that. But let's get into the Bears, man. And I like to get, you know, different people's insights as to what they think is the, the main problem with this team and, and why they struggle, especially on offense. In your eyes, I mean, whose fault is it? What the heck is going on with this offense? You know, it's been really fascinating to see this season play out um, because, you know, as much as we all want to think we know, you know, including, you know, those of us that work in the space, you know, it's always good to take signals and learn from other people. And the last couple of weeks, there, there's been some former Bears players that have started to suggest that, you know, although Matt Nagy's system is, is, is clearly not the most successful, um, and, and we've seen around the NFL guys like Kyle Shanahan, you know, be able to coach up backup quarterbacks and missing offensive linemen and missing wide receivers, and he still can have, a, you know, a solid offensive output. Um, but, I mean, Hunter Hillenmeyer basically said outright that he believes the reason Matt Nagy gave Bill Lazor the play-calling duties was almost to say, look, Ryan Pace, or look, you know, McCaskey's, it doesn't matter who's coach, uh, who's calling plays because the, the personnel here is so bad that, you know, you can't be successful. Um, so, you know, I think it's everyone. I, I really do. Uh, I think Nagy has been solved by the league, but I also do think that he, he's operating with probably one of the worst offenses on paper from a talent standpoint. Yeah, and I agree. I think, you know, there's a lot of blame to go around. I think Matt Nagy went out and got his quarterback and Nick Foles. Um, and, you know, benching Trubisky was kind of admitting a mistake. And now you look at Nick Foles, and it's like, man, this offense still stinks under Nick Foles in the five or six games he's taken over as starting quarterback. For me, I look at it this way. I think the Bears right now are kind of in hell, um, in NFL hell, where – they're probably not good enough to, you know, even if they make the playoffs, win a playoff game. But if, you know, they're not also not bad enough to where they would get a top 10 pick and they could, they could get into, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, maybe Trey Lance. Um, as far as the quarterback is concerned, I think they're going to have to go with a rookie like Kyle Trask or Mac Jones. What do you see the quarterback situation as being next year? Yeah, you know, you nailed it. I guess I usually refer to it as a uh, one spot above hell, which is purgatory when you're kind of <laughs> stuck between, you know, you're too, like you said, you're too good to be picking in the top 10, but you're too bad to really win any meaningful games. And it's kind of crazy to hear you say, you know, they started off five and one, there's now seven seeds in the playoffs. And yet we still, you know, we're not confident they're going to make the playoffs, which, which almost seems hard to do. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that they are unfortunately with the schedule, they are going to win <laughs> a couple more games, you know, the Jaguars, you know, stands out. Maybe not the Texans anymore, um, starting to play some better football. But they do have some easy matchups left in the schedule. So it's looking like that if they did want to go quarterback in this class in the first round, um, I think the name you mentioned there, Mac Jones, is the guy I guess I, I would throw out there. To me, he, he's a step above Kyle Trask. Uh, I think there's a, there's a tier at the top. Uh, I think the first three picks really are going to be Lawrence, uh, Fields, and Wilson. I really do think Wilson's going to go third overall uh, at this point. 
And I think Trey Lance is going to be a top 10 pick. Um, obviously not a lot of tape on him and he's coming from, you know, North Dakota state, but you know, obviously Carson Wentz has come out of there. So I think teams are comfortable with that situation. So that late first round guy that kind of intrigues me um, is Mac Jones from Alabama. Uh, not, not the greatest arm strength, um, not the greatest athlete, but he, he does pretty well out of structure. Uh, he made a couple of plays this past week that I really like to see where, you know, the play collapsed um, and he kind of, you know, shifted the pocket, moved around a bit, rolled out and found the open man. Uh, and that's something that if you're not a dynamic athlete, you know, you still need to be able to have that in your arsenal. It's something that I think, you know, a guy like a Derek Carr has kind of gotten better at this year and it's why we've seen his game grow. So yeah, if I had to pick one, you know, I think I, I would probably say I'd wait a year. But if I had to pick one, I think Mac Jones is my guy. And it's kind of interesting you said wait a year because, you know, I look at this team and they have a, a lot of needs on offense. And this is a very good um, offensive tackle class. And when you say wait a year, I want to ask you this. So if you are the Bears and say you want to take, the, take an offensive tackle, maybe take a guard in the second round, and then you do wait a year for a quarterback that you think is going to be the franchise guy. You obviously have a bridge quarterback coming in next year. Who is your favorite quarterback in that 2022 class? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I had a great grasp on the 2022 class. Um, but I do know that, you know, it's supposed to, again, be another good year. It might not be as, you know, generational as, as this year is looking. But now, now you're putting me on the spot. Now i got to look up the class. <laughs> well, it, it's pretty much Sam Howell is going to be the main guy. And then um, the kid from USC, I can't even pronounce his last, Slovic. Oh, yep, yep. I, uh, Slo, I've heard some good things about him as well. Um, so, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll rephrase the question. Would you wait until 2022 with, with you know, maybe Howell is probably going to be number one or, or Slovic would be number one. And would you try to address the offensive line this year, or would you kind of go all in on a quarterback maybe um, in free agency or take a shot at someone later on this year? Yeah, so my reasoning there um, is simply that I don't think this team is going to be, um, you know, good on offense and, and be a good situation for a quarterback to come into probably for, for a little bit of time. Um, you know, the, the, everyone likes to mention the defense. Um, you know, they're the oldest defense in the NFL at this point. Um, and so, like, even that safety blanket is kind of going on the way out. It's not going to be there much longer. Uh, and then they have, you know, one of, the, one of the more poor offensive lines in the NFL. And then, you know, if Allen Robinson isn't retained, you know, their best wide receiver is a 2025th round pick. So, um, you know, again, with, with a, a rookie tight end as well, you know, Jimmy Graham probably on the way out. So it, it's an awful situation to put a rookie in. And then by the time the team is, is maybe good, you know, his, his rookie contract is gone. So all the surplus value there is gone. So, yeah, I would, as you mentioned, it is a, it is a strong tackle class. Um, you know, if I had to pick a name again, I, I really like Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. Um, had a chance to watch a couple of his games from last year. Um, and he does look like a phenomenal prospect. Uh, and, and it's a deep class. There's a lot. Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. There's a bunch of guys. So, yeah. So, in my opinion, I think you build the foundation. Uh, I mean, if you look at look at the Jets. I mean, Mecky Becton at left tackle this year. And then Denzel Mims in the second round. And, again, yes, I understand they're, you know, they're 0-10 or, and they're going to finish 0-16. But Trevor Lawrence is going to step into – having one of the best young left tackles in the NFL um, and, and a really good, you know, young receiver and then some other pieces there. So that's the model I would follow um, just because I think if you try to push in again and try to try up again or do whatever you have to do again, it, it's just the margin for error is, is basically non-existent. 
Yeah, and I also look at it this way. I mean, you look at the Bengals, they have Joe Burrow, and their offensive line is just is god-awful. And eventually it was going to be a point where they're pretty much going to get them killed back there, and that's pretty much what happened. You, you don't want to put in a, uh, a rookie quarterback with a very poor offensive line. You know, going back to this draft, though, I want to talk, and I know you say to talk to you on Twitter about this as well, how bad does the Cole Komet pick look now? I mean, it's still early. Uh, he can obviously turn it around, but man, when you pass on a guy like Chase Claypool, Antoine Winfield, I mean, what? I mean, is that just another miss for for Ryan Pace, or how, how can you explain that one? Yeah. So my issue with that pick, you know, isn't so much with the player it's himself. Um, you know, even though, as you mentioned on Twitter, I, I think we've both seen people who, whose opinions we probably respect in that space. You know, they said they they didn't like him as a prospect, but I'm I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I, you know, I'm I'm watching every college game and I'm qualified to speak on that. My issue was more that, you know, first there are reports coming out that the Bears are calling like every team under the sun trying to trade up in the second round. Mm -hmm. And the next tight end taken after Cole Komet was the 89th overall pick, Devin Asiasi to the Patriots. So again, not that that means that like, you know, Cole Komet could have gone so late. That doesn't mean that no one else wanted to take a tight end, but it's a clear weak class. It's, it's not a competitive position where, you know, teams are, are, are strategizing to get jump ahead of each other and get the guy. And meanwhile, Ryan Pace is trying to move up because he, he's obsessed with players and can never not land the guy he wants. So, of course, he didn't trade up and he still just took him at 43. But my issue is I, I think he probably could have traded back and still taken Jalen Johnson and still taken Cole Komet and had like another third round pick. Um, I think, again, you know, you can't know what the trade scenarios are. But if you look at the guys taken right behind Komet, it, it's, it's a bunch of, you know, it's actually two safeties in a row with um, – uh, Grant Delpit and uh, the guy in the Buccaneers and Anton Winfield. Yeah. And then it's a bunch of receivers, like you mentioned, Chase Claypool and stuff like that. Like it's a bunch of positions in need that just like, it's clear no one was interested in Cole Komet. Um, and, and so that's my, my issue comes in. He's on field value. I, I mean, he's a young inline tight end. Um, you look at a guy like Drew Sample, who was a second round pick of the Bengals last year. He probably had the same production as Komet, you know, nothing. Um, in his rookie season. So I'm not concerned from that area. You know, I think we actually, we grade him pretty well, both in, in run blocking and pass blocking. We do. So I think he has room to grow and he'll be a fine player. But when every other move in your off season is going all in, you know, you're signing Robert Quinn, who's 30, you're signing Danny Trevathan, who's 30, you're trading for Nick Foles. And then you take a, a guy who is not going to make a serious impact until what, probably year three. It just doesn't make any sense. So, Brad, you know, I got to ask you, kind of moving away from, like, Cole Komet and everything here, I mean, you mentioned earlier this is basically the oldest defense in the league. Do you think that this is a team that needs to trade someone like Akeem Hicks, for example, or even a guy like Kyle Fuller this upcoming offseason, not only because they need to free up some salary cap space because they're in, they're pretty much in every aspect of football hell that you could think of, but in order to like get more draft picks back and what do you think is like a good, you know, draft pick value return that they could get for a guy like Hicks or Fuller. So the issue here and, and not to be doom and gloom and to just assume that nothing can work, but the issue now is that, you know, Kyle Fuller has a $13 million base salary in 2021 and Hicks has a $10.4 million base salary in 2021. And so while they're both phenomenal players, you know, Fuller is going to be 29. I think next year Hicks will be 32 everyone across the league is dealing with this cap drop. So could you find a team to trade you for those players? Sure. 
are they going to give you anything better than a fifth round pick for like an all pro corner or an all pro defensive tackle? Probably not. So, you know, from a value perspective, you're still going to lose that trade. So they do need the room. Uh, I think those two guys in particular, I would probably look to extend both of them. Um, but, you know, they definitely could be traded. I would not rule it out. Um, I would not say it's crazy to, to go that route. I mean, you look at like the Jaguars, just getting rid of Calais Campbell, getting rid of AJ Bowie. You know, there's your, there's your perfect example right there, the exact same two positions. Like it is a scenario, it is a, you know, maneuver where you do that and it sets yourself up better for the future. But, you know, it probably depends who's calling the shots, whether they care about the future or they care about, you know, saving their job for one more year. You know, Brad, talk about that uh, cap space and the Bears right now are projected to have um, much of it. And, you know, the NFL, I guess the projection is it's either going to go down or to kind of stay the same. What's kind of the latest that you've heard um, on the NFL salary cap situation? And I guess my final question after that would be, what other moves could you see the Bears making to free up some space? Yeah, so I was under the impression earlier in the year that they were going to find a way to, worst case scenario, make the salary cap be kind of the same as 2020. So, you know, right around $200 million, um, and kind of smooth it out and kind of eat that, that loss over, over a span of years. And the NFLPA and the NFL have kind of already kind of discussed the parameters of what that would look like according to, you know, various reports. But it doesn't really sound super optimistic. Um, I mean, obviously – any, any team that was bringing fans in has now stopped. Uh, and, and even though, you know, none of them were at full capacity, you know, 10,000 guys a week or 10,000 people a week is, is, is better than zero. Um, but I, I don't really foresee fans being at games, maybe outside of Texas for the rest of the season. So I, I'm probably starting to guess now that we're going to look at a, at a slightly reduced cap, maybe 185 million. Uh, the floor is 175 million uh, for anyone who didn't know that. So that's the lowest it could be, but and so given that, I mean, you kind of got to start making any mid-tier move you can. So I think Jimmy Graham is cut. I think Buster Strine is cut. Um, you know, I, I not even think. Those two guys are, are, are pretty much guaranteed to be off the roster. And then I think you, you probably explore getting rid of Bobby Massey. Um, he actually has an option for his 2021 season that they have to exercise or decline before the 2020 season begins. So probably around the Super Bowl. I'm sure they'll do that, you know, at halftime of the Super Bowl so we don't hear about it. Um, and so yeah, really any move like that. And then you're kind of just set up with, you know, your top end guys, uh, and then a bunch of minimums, which has kind of been their situation this year as well. You say, do you have anything else for Brad? Uh, no, that's it for me. Awesome. Brad, thank you so much, man, uh, for joining us and where can everyone read your work? Um, follow you on Twitter. Thank you guys for having me on great conversation. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. I'm um, talking cap and contracts, uh, obviously a bear slant from time to time, um, but really can, you know, discuss any team and anything like that. And then, yeah, look, looking ahead to the draft and, and, and stuff like that as we, as we transition to 2021. Awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely have to have you on um, in the off season because you're like my go-to guy with cap space and all that stuff. It, it confuses the heck out of me. So we'll have you <laughs> on to kind of break all that stuff down. Happy to. Awesome. Take care, man. You too. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. Welcome back in here to the Bearport Podcast. That was our interview with Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. Some good stuff, some good insight there on the Chicago Bears. He's my go-to guy for cap situations. Uh, must follow on Twitter. And we'll have him back on this offseason because he does a great job breaking it down as you heard some off-season things there. Now, kind of transitioning to this offseason, you said, I, I think this is, this is it. This is the start of a six-game stretch that's really going to determine what the Bears do this offseason. If these struggles continue or get even worse and they continue to hover on the bottom of the league in offensive production and they don't make the playoffs or, you know, say they go two and four, three and three and finish either at 500 again or just below 500, I think we could really see some changes at Hellas Hall. There's been reports out there. Some people, what I've heard is that there's a little tension and some frustration, um, you know, at Hellas Hall with how the offense is going now. It is an odd year, COVID, there's no revenue um, coming in from fans. So anything could change. COVID could be a way of maybe Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace still having their jobs for at least another year. However, if this thing goes down south, I think the chances of neither of them returning next year and they just kind of flip the switch on a new uh, regime definitely increase. Yeah, and, you know, I would even argue that you have to consider – potentially being in this situation where you keep one, but you fire the other. And in this situation, I would be first things first. I would fire Ryan Pace immediately because the thing is, is this guy's been here for six years. I mean, Nagy was his handpick head coach. He's gotten a second shot at it. He, you know, hired John Fox as well. Although there's some controversy there too, a couple of years ago where it was like, Oh, well, John Fox was for, yeah, Fox was forced on Ryan Pace, et cetera, all that stuff. doesn't matter because Pace has had one winning season in six years. You look at this 2020 offseason, he was essentially in desperation mode the entire time because he handed out $70 million to Robert Quinn. He gave $16 million to Jimmy Graham. And I mentioned this on Picks for Pace last week too, our other Bear Report podcast. I said I was like, Jimmy Graham was not the type of guy that you pay $16 million to. No, he was the type of guy that you wait until the second or third wave of free agency because he's a 30-something-year-old veteran, and then you go ahead and sign him. And then on top of that, you did things like sign Jermaine and Fetty to one-year deals, which really have not worked out. And so if the Bears are in the situation where, you know what, maybe they do keep Nagy because Nagy has some leverage here because you can say, well, some of this roster wasn't even mine, right? Nagy at least has that much leverage, but if you're the ownership, you got to look into – firing pace first and foremost and then giving the new G- hiring a new GM in 2021 and then letting the new GM decide do I want to just keep Nagy around for 2021 and then start fresh with my own head coach in 2022 because the reality of the situation is is that you're going to spend like two to three weeks in January figuring your GM out and then by the time that you do get to mid-January what's going to happen a lot of the quality head coaches are going to be gone and the coaching crop between this year and next year just seems to be very thin because there's just so few names that that you look at and you're like, all right, this guy, besides Eric Bieniemy, I want to say that there's not really any hot names out there. Yeah, and I do think if if one of them were to go, I think it would be Pace. I would actually be on board with maybe bringing in a new general manager, letting Matt Nagy try to maybe pick his quarterback that he wants in this draft, and let Matt Nagy have more you know insight and, and input on this roster. First and foremost, though, this is a big game against Green Bay. I mean, it's Packers week. We all know the rivalry. However, I mean, it could really just be the beginning of what is a very important um, 
a very important stretch here of what the Bears want to do with their offense, or not offense, I mean franchise. It's it's a stretch where, you know, like I mentioned, you, you have six games, you're probably going to be favored in three of those games. And if you can finish strong, I think they'll keep Nagy and probably maybe even keep pace again. Um, but, I mean, if it starts to go downhill, you're, you're, you're kind of screwed. And looking at it this way, you have a Packers team right here. Their, their defense is vulnerable. You know what Aaron Rodgers is going to give you. I mean, he's throwing a Devontae Adams and a bunch of guys, you know, Alan Lazard and uh, MVS. You know, no disrespect to them. They're not world beaters. They're not, you know, going to be guys that are going to be pro, pro bowlers or anything like that. So when you look at it, the Packers' defense is very vulnerable. How much do we trust, though, that the Bears' offense can exploit those matchups. And Green Bay's not really getting the production from the Smith brothers this year. Rashawn Gary's kind of struggling at times. Um, their pass rush does get to the quarterback, and I think their pass rush will against this offensive line. But there's an opportunity here to, to kind of expose this defense and pick up some yards. I just don't know if I trust the Bears' offense to do that no matter who's playing quarterback. Right, and – you you can't really rely on this offense to do anything because what I did is this. So I went back before, right before the start of the season, I kind of pulled up all the roster changes that had taken place in the NFC North. And let me, I'll correlate it to the Vikings game in just a moment here. The Vikings, they're one of the youngest teams on defense in the league. And they're going to be one of the youngest teams in the league over the next couple of years. Cause they have like, 14 new rookies on their roster, I believe. The Vikings this past offseason lost so much on defense. I want to say that they lost like nine starters that had been here since the Mike Zimmer era. The Bears offense could not do anything against them. So what makes us think that they are going to do anything against the Packers defense that's in year three under Mike Pettin and has more continuity than Minnesota did? I mean, those are not, you know, those are just facts at this point that the Offense is not set up for success. And this Packers defense, I really think, is probably going to be playing out of – the Packers defense is probably going to have its best showing of the season with how bad the Bears offense is. Yeah, that, that wouldn't shock me at all. And, you know, flipping over, when I look at this game, I, and I think, you know, the Bears defense is really good. You know, in the past, they've shown that they can limit Aaron Rodgers um, in situations. You know, he, he, he wasn't very good against them in week one last year. He was better – um, later on in the season when they're up at Lambeau. But for the most part, I mean, the Bears were still in that game. They made a couple mistakes, but they were hanging in the game late. And I look at it this year, and it's like Aaron Rodgers is kind of vintage Aaron Rodgers. He's had, quietly having a very good season. And you talk, you know, Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray are doing um, things like that. But, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is up there with them. And he was, he was a leading passer going into last week. I believe he still is. He's quietly having another very impressive year. So, you know, it's going to be up to the Bears. If the Bears are going to want to win this game, their defense is going to have to limit the Packers' offense and limit them to under three touchdowns. I mean, if they can keep that scored within, you know, or under 21 points, they might have a shot. But that's going to require the offense to, to put up points. I don't know if we can trust that. Defense, you know, they might actually need to get a score in this one and force some takeaways. You know, Rodgers is a hard guy to pick off. Um, he was intercepted last week, but, you know, he typically doesn't turn the football over in terms of interceptions. You got to make sure you get a pass rush on him and you got to have your linebackers over the middle of the field play well, because there's one thing that, that the Packers love to do. It's those slants and they love to expose that middle of the field. And that's kind of been a, a weak spot for this Bears defense so far. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned the pass rush. I mean, we know what 
you, you know Khalil Mack's probably going to be held like a million times during the game anyway. And I don't know whether the Packers, the refs are going to call it or not, but that's, you know, one separate thing that's going to make everyone want to rip their hair out on Sunday night. But, like, you know, you need Akeem Hicks to show up. I mean, Roy Robertson-Harris, this Bears defensive line is one of the strongest rotational groups in the league, all right? But Roy Robertson-Harris is down, which means you're going to need guys like Bilal Nichols and Mario Edwards Jr., guys who are essentially situational players at this point to step up. And then we're still waiting for Robert Quinn to emerge. And I really think that if the Bears pass rush is going to have any legitimate chance, because Green Bay's got a pretty decent offensive line, you will need Rob Quinn to really show up big time in this game. And unfortunately, I just don't see that happening because you're paying the guy 70 million. It's like 15 million a year. All right. He's been virtually invisible this season outside of, I want to say like one or two plays. I know the coaches before the bye week kind of talked about, yeah, well, we're easing him in, you know, you're, 12 to 13 weeks into the season like how much are you really going to ease a guy that's been in the league for over a decade now like how much more easing in does a guy like Robert Quinn need well yeah at this point Robert Quinn shouldn't need more time to ease in there, there's absolutely no excuse for it and then look at the secondary as well I mean Jalen Johnson said when we talked to him on Monday he said you know there's one wide receiver he wanted to go up against it was Devontae Adams for me this is you know I love Jalen Johnson's confidence I think he's kind of gotten better as the season's gone on but that's kind of something you got to want to be careful, you know, what you wish for because the Packers will, I mean, if the Packers see that comment or I'm sure it's already in their game plan, they will try to get um, Devontae Adams matched up on Jalen Johnson. They'll try to get Devontae Adams matched up on Buster Scrine as well. Something they did last season um, in that slot. They know how to take advantage of the mismatches. And that'll be something I'm looking for early on. How much will they go at Jalen Johnson? How much will they go at Buster Scrine? I think they'll kind of go away from Kyle Fuller. And can the Bears keep up with the, with the speed of uh, MVS? I don't know what to think of the secondary. I think the secondary has played very, very well, especially Eddie Jackson and, and Tashawn Gibson back in at the safety spot. But if there's a big key for this defense outside of getting um, pressure on Rodgers, you got to wrap up, you got to tackle, and you have to make sure you can cover these wide receivers going into this game. Right, and to your point, you know, I think the Packers are really going to mix it up because you mentioned like Devontae Adams in the slot and whatnot. The Bears this this season, you know, guys are going to – Aaron Rodgers, I just feel like he's going to come out and bully Buster screen because Kirk Cousins was also in certain ways bullying Buster screen because screen could not slow it on Adam Thielen in the slot. And I truly believe that when he's in the slot, Devontae Adams is – one of the best at that position in the game. And so that, you know, I really think that what's going to happen is this is Green Bay is just going to plan significantly to try and have Adams line up on the side of the field where screen is and where Jalen Johnson is. Cause you know, right there, that's where they're going to make most of their money because with the Rogers to Adams connection, the type of thing it is, is they just have to have five to six receptions in the first quarter, in the first half. And then boom, all of a sudden they're on the same page. And then yeah, Marcus Valdez Scantlings, Obviously, they're going to have to keep up with his speed. They really can't afford to get burnt. But a third guy, I would really argue, is wide receiver Alan Lazard. I mean, I get he was out for a couple weeks in the middle of the season with an injury, but now you are approaching this kind of true second half of the season, the stretch run here. Alan Lazard, when healthy, every time I've watched the Packers play, makes some really good plays. So that's they the Bears are the defense is going to have to slow this entire trio down of MVS, Devontae Adams, and Alan Lazard. Not only that, they'll have to stop the run, too, because Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are a nice one-two punch, and Jones hasn't been really um, as involved lately. They've kind of switched it with Williams um, and Jones, but, I mean, it, if the Bears can't stop the run, it could be a very 
very long day for them. Uh, you say, let's get into our predictions and X factor. Why don't you go ahead and give me uh, your prediction and, and the key for this game. So my prediction is going to be the Packers win 21 to 14. And this 14 points at the Bears offense, right? It's assuming that Trubisky figures out a way to spark them just because, you know, Trubisky, he's played like pretty decent. Even last year, he played pretty decent at Lambeau Field, but the offense still just left like a lot of drop catches, et cetera, execution-wise things. They left it out on the field. Now, the reason I'm saying that Green Bay is only going to score 21 points is because I truly believe what's going to happen is the Bears D is going to keep them in this game. But then you're going to get to a point like late in the fourth quarter, about five to six minutes to go, where the score is probably going to be tied. And then Aaron Rodgers is just going to do his Aaron Rodgers things, and the Packers are slowly going to begin to stack a couple plays here and there, run the football, kind of just wear the defense down before really delivering that final strike. I think that that's going to be the story of this game. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the Bears' defense is going to keep them in it. I'm going to get a little bit of high scoring. I think it's going to be 24-16 Packers. Um, I think the defense will keep them in it as much as they can. They'll probably give up a score late, um, you know, maybe a field goal when they're up, you know, five or, or four late on, late in the game. Um, and I just don't really see the Bears offense doing much, even if it is Mitchell Trubisky. My X factor, though, is going to be that offensive line. Can the Bears offensive line hold up against this Packers defense? And can they create some running lanes for whoever's back there at running back? If the offensive line plays bad, it's going to be a long, long day for the Bears in Green Bay. Um, and sadly, right now, has you know, they haven't shown me anything to prove that, hey, you know, we're going to improve, we're going to be better, and and we can win games and turn things around. I'm gonna. It's hard for me to to pick the Bears in this one, so I'm going to go Packers 24-16. And who knows? This could be the start of a big, big turning point here. Um, in this season, either good or bad. Say so, thank you so much for joining me. Where can everyone follow you on Twitter at? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Show. Be sure to read my work on the Bear Report, too. I usually have articles that come out like two or three times a week. Perfect. Yep. And then you can follow the Bear Report on Twitter at Just Bear Report. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach, Z A C K underscore Pearson. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode of the Bear Report podcast. Until then, everyone, enjoy Thanksgiving and please stay safe. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.